It is a joy to be with each of you tonight. Um, this is a, a, a gift to have an intimate Richmond Hill worship, and we miss our friends who are away, but it is good to be here. Please pray with me. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be ever acceptable in your sight. God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What do we do with our desires? We long for so many things. Food, entertainment, money. We long for one another. That's why we might be here tonight. We long for justice, for peace. Our longings, big and small, marrow deep or fleetingly shallow. These fill our days and they fill our lives. Catholic priest and theologian Ronald Rollheiser, who those of you who've been through our spiritual direction course, Rua, might have read, he says it like this. We do not wake up in this world calm and serene, having the luxury of choosing to act or not to act. We wake up crying, on fire with desire, with madness. He then, he then adds this, what we do with this madness is our spirituality. What we do with our madness, our desires, our longings, this is our spirituality. This makes up our spiritual lives. We'll get to what I think he means here in a moment, but first let's get grounded in our texts. Our first reading this evening comes from the Song of Solomon, or also called the Song of Songs, and I will say this is the first time, or actually the second time since I preached on it this Sunday, but this, this sermon is the first time I've gotten a chance to wrestle with this text and it is literally an Egyptian love poem smack in the middle of the Bible. And I am really excited to be preaching on it tonight. This is a text full of longing, pregnant with expectation, ripe with joy. Ostensibly about the meeting of two beloveds, the language connotes not only the longing for one another, but the anticipated arrival of a new season filled with new life, and new bird songs, and new fruits, and new flowers, and new fragrances. There are many ways preachers interpret this text. It's an allegory of the love between Christ and the church. It's a historical interpretation of King Solomon and one of his brides. But what I see in this text is a celebration of God and the generative energy of God's creation. God is here both in the fulfillment of a longed-for expectation the lovers meet, the rain is over, the flowers appear. And God is also in that laden anticipation for what is yet to come, now that the winter is past. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. There is energy in this text, desire, longing, perhaps even that madness that Rollheiser speaks of. And it is good. Our gospel text also speaks of desire, 
but this time it's as a cautionary tale. Jesus is fed up, fed up with the hypocrisy of religious leaders who are so caught up in ritual purity that their hearts are far from God, having abandoned God's commandments to love neighbor as self. Fed up with what I imagine he sees as empty religion, leaders going through the motions, their bodies mechanically observing their tradition long after their hearts have dried up. Jesus is fed up, it seems, with the evils that he warns of that come from a human heart far from God. Wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. Reading these two texts together, I see the holy longings of our hearts as a reflection of God's creative energy so beautifully described in the Song of Songs. That new life that just thrums through that text, all of that I see is also in our hearts. And I hear in Mark's gospel, reminding us what happens when either we lose that desire, like those Pharisees with their dried up hearts, or we get consumed by it, turning our hearts away from God's love of neighbor and self. The other day, I was trying to describe my faith to some of my atheist and agnostic friends. And I don't know if you've all ever had this experience, but in my group of friends, I am a weird one. I am the sole, odd, religious type, always trying to explain why I do what I do. And it is always interesting to try to translate faith into words understandable to non-religious people. This thing that we do, this gathering and singing and wrestling with texts, it is weird. It is weird. And the most common translation that I can come up for God is, you know, good or love. But those words, they never quite capture it. They kind of roll empty off my tongue. My experience of faith isn't some concept or some idea. It's in the tingles in my body when I pray, or the tears that sometimes spring up behind my eyes when that piece of text just hits, just so. It's in how I feel here with you all, knowing that when two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, that Jesus is here with us too. It's in the desire I feel to follow Jesus even when I fall so short and so often mix the mark. It is in what our theologian Rollheiser describes as a holy longing for God. In his book, appropriately titled The Holy Longing, Rollheiser describes soul work as twofold. First, we can't let our hearts dry up. Part of spiritual work is maintaining that fire, that madness described so beautifully by the Song of Songs, the life force of God, our our source, our wellspring from which our spiritual lives emerge. God's energy is powerful, unstoppable even. Rollheiser reminds us that if you put a two-inch band of steel around a watermelon as it grows, eventually as it grows, that steel will break because the power of growth is so awesome. And that same generative energy, that is inside us as God's beloved children. Our, and it is in our longings and our desires. 
and it too is awesome. But with the great power that comes, that each of us has inside of us, of course, also comes great responsibility. And so the second part of soul work is to channel our longings towards God, towards love. So often throughout human history and Christian teaching in particular, we've really tried to squelch desire. We've wanted to bottle it up and push it down and control it and subdue those longings inside of us, or at least at me being raised in white Anglo-Saxon Protestant tradition, we really like to do that. <laughs> Bottle it up. And indeed, Jesus warns us, our desires can be destructive. We are a people addicted to consumption and oppression. But if we believe, if we truly believe that we are God's beloved children, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, what happens if we see these desires at their root as a holy longing for God, for love, for belonging? What if instead of being afraid of that energy within us, try to squelch it or bottle it up or not look at it? What if we work with it, turning it towards God to fulfill God's great commandment to love neighbor as self? This is the deep work of the soul the deep work of our spiritual lives. This work is hard and never-ending, and it is vital. Sometimes our desires are so misdirected, so contorted, that they are almost unrecognizable as holy. How many of you have those things inside you that you feel like can't possibly be from God? But here is the good news. No matter how far off we stray, no matter how broken we believe ourselves to be, no, bad, no matter how shameful we think our desires are, God's love is here, inside us, surrounding us, always available and abundant and awesome, beckoning our hearts and our desires to get in alignment with God. If we are to be doers of the word, as James asks us to be, our hearts have got to be aligned with God, our longings channeled towards God, our spirits alive with God. Can you imagine a world where our spirits were alive with God? Can you imagine what Richmond, Virginia would look like? All of our spirits alive with God? This is the work that we're called to do at Richmond Hill, the deep work the healing work, the aligning work of getting, turning continuously over and over every day to align our hearts with God. So this week, as you go into the world, I invite you to look at your longings somewhere in the mess of our interior lives. Can you find your longing for God? What keeps it alive? Can you feed it? Can you pay attention to it so that it grows? I don't know how else, I don't know how to end that thought neatly. And so I'm going to close with one of my favorite prayers from Thomas Merton. 
which I think is apropos of that feeling of not quite knowing. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope that I, that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me on the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. May it be so. Amen.